Hello to all of our friends and extended family in Nigeria. Uh, hope and pray that uh, your event there is going beautifully, that the Lord is visiting with you and doing great things, giving encouragement uh, concerning the season in which we're living now, providing insight with understanding. That's kind of the key, insight with an application and an understanding of of where we are in the timeline of heaven and what exactly is the blueprint of God for these last days. That's our prayer for you. And I ask the Lord to open the heavens and do for you what he did, you know, when he walked the earth in human form, as it says there in John chapter one, when he said to Nathaniel, you're gonna see something greater than a word of knowledge. You're going to see the heavens opened and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Oh my goodness. May that be the, re the reality for you and I individually and the reality for all of us corporately that when we have a gathering like the one you're in right now, the heavens would open and angels would ascend and descend and even the cloud of witnesses. Listen, there are so many spiritual dynamics for these last days that are coming to a place of fruition. We are surrounded, the Bible says, encompassed about by a great cloud of testifiers, witnesses, those that have invested themselves into our day. They prayed for this hour. They prayed for this final outpouring. They gave their lives sacrificially. <clears throat> they even were martyred. They were martyred, many of them to see this hour fulfilled, desiring themselves to see it, but the Bible says they, they, uh, they did not see it, but they're waiting for you and I to inherit these promises so that they're made perfect. That would be Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. Well, bless you, bless you, Pastor Francis, and all you guys there, we sure love and appreciate you. I hope uh, that session number one, was um, was helpful, was a blessing. I know I covered a lot of territory. I wanted to uh, get some of this framework in there and I remembered Pastor Francis in our Zoom call a couple of days ago telling me that he'll take the next three months or so unpacking, <coughs> excuse me, these revelations. And so that's what I'm counting on, that uh, you guys would take these words, these scriptures and begin to unfold their meaning you know, you really can't uh, fully appreciate, maybe is the right word, the book of Revelation without also having some understanding of the ministry of Daniel. You know, if you'll remember, even in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the Lord talking about, you know, they asked him, you know, here's the, here is the scenario. <laughs> Let me just kind of give the little, the context of this statement, you know. The Lord Jesus, you know, comes into uh, Jerusalem riding on a donkey, all right? He fulfilled Zechariah chapter nine. Now here's the thing. If you read that whole passage there in Zechariah chapter nine, the verse that follows our king is coming in riding on a donkey, a humble and, and so forth. But then it follows the very next few verses talks about the kingdom and the king and setting up the kingdom and eradicating the enemies of Israel and and so forth. So, you know, on the day that the Lord was riding in on the donkey, they remembered, they were very familiar with the prophecies of Zechariah. They knew when that king came riding in on a donkey, that meant the kingdom was here. And so they were celebrating, they were, 
putting, you know, palm branches and, and all these various expressions, singing Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they were, they were happy. They were thinking the kingdom is here. Here, here is a man that was healing the sick and raising the dead and multiplying bread and fish and teaching things we've never heard before. And now he's riding in on a donkey fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah and the, the following verses says, now the kingdom is here and, and God's going to kick our enemies out of the land. <laughs> That's kind of what they were thinking. And of course, the Lord comes in. The very first thing he does is go to the temple and overturn the money tables and start rebuking everybody. <laughs> They're like, wait, this is not what we had in mind. You know, he started rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, you know, telling them all kinds of stuff. I mean, just, you know, kind of, um, you know, bringing order. I, I was about to use some expressions here, but it's Southern expression, but I won't go there, but uh, just, you know, being very direct with the people. And no doubt those disciples, you know, were a little nervous about it themselves. You know, they they were having a hard time understanding the plan of God, you know, because here was the Lord, you know, on the one hand, he's raising the dead. Then he tells them he's got to go to the cross and he's got to die. And, and you know, I remember in one place, I forget now where the passage is, but he tells the disciples, you know, I must go into Jerusalem. They're going to spit on me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to persecute me and they're going to kill me. And the Bible says, and the disciples could not understand these words. <laughs> well, you know, he said, so he says again, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. And they didn't get it. And I understand that. I get it. I understand that. Because they couldn't see the interval between his first and his second coming. And for me, that is a lot of what John said. If you'll remember, you know, John the, the Baptist, you know, when he was in prison, you know, I, he, he, he sent his disciples to the Lord. Now, this is laying some foundation for where I'm going to go in the book of Revelation, so stay with me. But here is John, um, the, 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 the Baptist, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He's now in prison, and he sends disciples to the Lord. He says, now, are you the one, or, or is there another? Now, many people teach <clears throat> that John, you know, got in prison and, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe is, uh, he got a little discouraged. Are you really the one? And I've always struggled with that. I, I've just, not John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist was out there in the desert calling those Pharisees a brood of vipers. I mean, <laughs> he, he had no misunderstanding who the Lord was. He was the one called from his birth to be the forerunner of the Messiah, to bring mountains down, to, the, to bring valleys up, to make the crooked places straight, and, and, and to pre prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. I don't believe he had a crisis of faith when he went to prison. I don't, I don't think, my, my revelation is, you know, that John the Baptist was more than happy to give his head for the kingdom. That was my revelation. So what was he asking? Are you the one are we to expect another? Now, here is what I believe John was asking, because when they read those Old Testament prophets, on the one hand, you know, even Isaiah, on the one hand, you have the suffering servant. Then on the other hand, you have the victorious king. 
And, and so, John, are you, which, are you the one? Are you, <laughs> I'm confused. Are you a suffering servant or the victorious king? And, John, and the Lord Jesus says, go tell John what you see. Tell him I'm both. <laughs> go tell him what you see. The sick are healed. The, the lame walk. The, the poor have the gospel pro, uh, proclaimed. In other words, I am fulfilling the messianic prophecies. That's what he said. When he told those disciples, go tell John everything you see right here. I'm healing the sick. I'm casting out devils. I'm raising the dead. I'm preaching the poor. I'm preaching the gospel to the poor. Go tell him these are the messianic signs. I am the Messiah and I am the suffering servant, but I'm also the victorious king. That's where there was so much um, confusion, I guess you might say, with the prophecies. We see these two applications, but which one are you? And they couldn't see the 2,000 year gap between his first coming with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah, the Lord, the living God manifested in flesh, and then the victorious return of our victorious king, the overcoming king who is judge of all. They, that was kind of hard to see that this suffering lamb was also the victorious king that was going to judge the world. <clears throat> but now we're standing at the end of the age <clears throat> and we have more understanding of it. And so we're at the very end of this age, as I mentioned, uh, you know, in the first session, that we have been in the church age and, and with, the, with the, the day of Pentecost until the resurrection of the dead and the translation of the living saints, this age and Jesus talked about this age and the age to come. Paul talked about this age and the age to come. And as we come to the end of this age, it is in preparation of the age to come. And at the end of this age, the one that we're in now, these last little segment of time, whatever number of years it is, let's just, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years, we don't know. We don't know how many years, but just, you know, assuming that is within that, that time frame, then there'll be a body of people on this earth that, that taste the good word of God and the powers of that age to come. And they will be a first fruit, they will be a demonstrator of the powers of the age. So we're, we're not gonna see the fullness of it until the Lord himself comes and he eradicates the Antichrist system that's on the earth now. He destroys the government of Satan. That's what Revelation 17, 18, and 19 is all about. Well, 17, 18, and of course, in chapter 19. Let me just tell you a little story, a little something, and, and I'm just gonna hit some high points. Uh, this will be the only other session I'll be able to be with you, so I'm gonna hit some main points here, but Oh, several years ago now, you know, six or seven, eight years ago, whatever it happened to be, I was in prayer, you know, and I could hear in the spirit this exuberant celebration. I could hear people shouting, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and, and all this, um, this, this sound of a party <laughs> almost. It was the sound of a great celebration. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I hearing? You know, I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, what exactly am I hearing? Because it was almost like I was 
I had one foot in this natural realm and then one foot in the other realm and I'm hearing in the unseen dimension a celebration and and the these hallelujahs and praise the lords and all of that taking place and and I said lord what am I hearing he said you're hearing the celebration that'll take place when mystery babylon is destroyed and I was just undone I'm like you know I, I, it never had occurred to me I suppose that they would celebrate in heaven when a religious system on the earth is destroyed that was responsible for the martyrdom of 80 or 90 million believers and Christians on planet earth, this counterfeit system of Christianity that has deceived millions and millions of people and and all the various things that we see described there in Revelation 17 and 18, the great harlot, is, is counterfeit Christianity. She rides the beast. The beast is the power of the Antichrist. This is not complicated. We can get this. All right, so what we saw, <clears throat> you know, this is where I wanted to tie this in with, with these early prophecies like John the Baptist, you know, <clears throat> where he was asking the question, are you, which one, which one are you? Are you the one or do we look for another? And and, and, and as we come to the end of the age, we're looking back over 2,000 church, years of church history, and we can see now the operation of this counterfeit spirit. And, you know, when the, when the Holy Spirit fell, the spirit of Antichrist fell. Let me just back that up even a little bit further. When the Lord Jesus comes on the scene, there is a man called Judas Iscariot. And the Bible said he is the son of perdition. <clears throat> Just you know, do a little sila there. Let's think about that one a minute. The son of destruction, the son of the destroyer, Judas Iscariot, you know, the son of destruction. And here's the thing. He was right there among the 12 and not even John recognized who he was. Not even the beloved John, not Peter, not James, none of them recognized that Judas Iscariot wasn't even really one of them. He was of another spirit. He was counterfeit. He was a, an image, if you will, of, of, a, of, a, of a counterfeit, you know, antichrist spirit. Isn't that amazing? And what's really amazing, <laughs> the Lord put an anointing on him, not in him, on him, you know, and he went out with the other 11 and cast out devils and healed the sick. And the 12 of them come back and they're sitting around the campfire one night and they were rejoicing because the demons were subject to them and all of that. And Judas was right there among them. Jesus didn't say, well, 11 of you, you know, you cast out demons and heal the sick. No, he said, all of you all did, but don't, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, for a moment there, you know, that seemed like that might have included Judas Iscariot, but he was never really one of them. And so when it came to the night before the crucifixion, and Jesus said, one of you is a, is a devil. <laughs> he said, one of you didn't have a devil. He said, one of you is a devil. Think about that a minute. And one of you is going to betray me. And they looked at each other. Is it me? Is it me? I'd be terrified too. Oh, God, don't let me betray you. <laughs> Lord, not now. Lord, I don't want to be a betrayer. And even John, you know, Peter says to John, he nudges him and says, 
You ask him, who is the one? And John, the, the beloved, lays his head upon his breast. Which one is it? And the Lord says, the one to whom I hand the morsel. And he took a, a piece of bread and he dipped it and he handed it to Judas Iscariot. And John knew he was the one. And the Bible says at that moment, listen to these words, Satan entered him. Now you can go back and read these. I don't have time this today to, to read these verses to you. You can go read them for yourself. Satan entered him. And he betrayed the Lord. And, and the Lord said, it had been better if he had never been born. It had been better for him if he had never been born. And he lived right among them for three and a half years. And nobody even recognized who he was. Not even John. Now, now. That spirit came back down on the earth at the, at the day of Pentecost. There was the Holy Spirit, then there was the counterfeit spirit that came also. By the way, you know, people say, well, three people hung on a tree on the day of, of crucifixion. No, four, four. On the very same day Jesus hung on a tree, Judas hung on a tree. And he fell down and down a cliff and his bowels burst open and oh, just... Just a horrible, horrible thing. And so that counterfeit spirit comes right back down. And right at the outset of the church, those early disciples are already dealing with this counterfeit spirit, <laughs> trying to pull people away and so forth it goes. And so we see over 2,000 years of church history, that counterfeit spirit, first in the, in the seals of God, you'll see it in Revelation chapter 6, the counterfeit spirit first comes as a white horse rider. Then as time goes on, it matures and becomes a red horse rider. It comes on the scene as an influence, as a spirit, as, a, as trying to lure people away. But then by around 312 AD, when they consolidate the, the Roman kingdom with Constantine and the religious and the political spirit are united together, then you have this transition from the white horse rider to the red horse rider taking peace from the earth. And then that red horse rider matures later and becomes a black horse rider. And that's where you see them selling indulgences and selling prayers. And then at the very end of the age, he's a pale horse rider and death and hell follows. That's the operation of the spirit of Antichrist coming to the end of the age. And we see that description further displayed and understood in Revelation 17 and 18. Now, back to my experience. So I hear this celebration in heaven and I don't know, I mean, I'm hearing it. I don't know how to explain that. And I said, Lord, what am I hearing? And the Lord says, you're hearing the celebration in heaven of the destruction of Mystery Babylon, the great harlot. And I was led to Revelation chapter 19. Listen to these words. I'm going to read it to you right out of the book of Revelation. And after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Listen to what they say. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has, uh, he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time, they said, hallelujah, 
Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God. All you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. See, that's what I was hearing. And the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. The four hallelujahs of Revelation 19. Four shouts of hallelujah when the Lord finally is the supreme judge. You know, I touched on this yesterday in Revelation chapter one, the sevenfold revelation of his glory, depicting the attributes of the Lord as the supreme judge. And when he comes at the very end of the age to judge this system of counterfeit Christianity that has deceived millions and even martyred you know, 80-something million of our brothers, according to history, during the Dark Ages and Inquisitions and all of these various things that took place that were so contrary to the heart and nature of God. History itself is displayed right here in the book of Revelation. It is one of the most exciting, one of the most wonderful books in the entirety of the Bible. But we have to view the book of Revelation through the lens of the Lord as the supreme judge, king, the victor over all, but he also sits in judgment. And when we, before we, the kingdom of heaven can rule planet earth in the Lord's kingdom, the Lord's government, the Lord first has to remove and eradicate the government of Satan. That's what you see here. It's very simple. It's not that complicated. The Lord will eradicate the Bible says the, the devil, the enemy, is the, is the God of this world and the ruler of this age, all right? The ethno, the, you know, so he's the, the God of this world the, and the ruler of this age. The word age there is ion, ion, interval of time. So this church age that I've been kind of portraying to you with my hands like this, during this time, the enemy has been ruling, you know, he started ruling back in the days of Adam, but he created a counterfeit church 2,000 years ago because he couldn't kill the, the church. You know, he tried that when the, when the church was first born in the early part of the, of the first century, he just tried to kill them all. But the more he killed, the more they popped up. Tertullian, one of the early church writers, said the blood of the martyrs was seed for the kingdom. So every time the devil would kill one Christian, 10 more popped up. <laughs> and so he's thinking, this isn't working. So I, I can't eradicate the church. I can't just kill them all. And he's tried to do that with the Jews, you know, throughout history. If he can just kill all the Jews, then, then the promises and the, and the plan of God is eradicated because it, it hinges on the nation of Israel. And every time the devil tries to kill all the Jews, the Lord reverses it and he blesses them and does something great with it. So, you know, even when he tried to kill all the Jewish people in the, in the early part of the 20th century in World War II under Hitler, what resulted from that was Israel being birthed as a nation. One of the greatest prophetic fulfillments in modern time, maybe one of the greatest in, in, since the days of the Exodus. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says. In Jeremiah chapter 16, 
So here we are, we're living in the day when the Lord fulfilled this great promise. You know, Jeremiah prophesied about it in Jeremiah 16, where it says, the Lord at one time was known as the God that brought Israel out of Egypt. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. The Lord went down there, one man in a stick. He picked Moses on the side of a, of a mountain with a, in a burning bush and said, you and I are going to go down and take over Egypt, Lord. What, well, I'm sure Moses says, well, where's my army? Ah, oh, you don't need an army. Just take that stick. That's all you need. That staff in your hand, just me and you and that staff. That's good enough. And he goes down to Egypt and you know the story and he pronounces all the plagues and, and all that goes with it, you know, and he brings all these two to three million people. He marches them out of Egypt, you know, they're faced with the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army on the other and the pillar of fire comes down and keeps the Egyptian army from, from rushing down to kill all the Jewish people and you know, and <clears throat> so Moses goes to God and says, Lord, you know, here we are. We're kind of in a pickle here. You know, we got the Red Sea in front of us, the Egyptian army behind us. What are we going to do? And I'm sure the Lord said something like this. Well, didn't I tell you to go across the, re- the Red Sea? Well, yes, Lord, you did, but we got a problem. The Red Sea's in the way. And the Lord said, well, tell it to get out of the way. Tell the Red Sea to move. It's in the way of God's plan. I hope you can see here what I'm trying to say. <laughs> When God gets ready to fulfill his word, there's nothing that can stand in the way. Not a mountain, not a Red Sea, no opposition, nothing. (laughs) Nothing can keep God's word from coming to pass. So Moses, the Red Sea's in the way, speak to it. Tell it to move. Get out of the way. Moses stretches out his arms and that Red Sea parts. That was a big deal. (laughs) And Israel marches across on dry ground. Then all that goes on, you know, I won't go into all the details. It takes quite a while just to share all the, the great and awesome things the Lord did. Okay, so you get the picture. So here's what Jeremiah prophesied. He said, God one day <clears throat> has been known as the God that brought Israel out of Egypt. That was a big deal. But there's coming a future day when God is not, only, is not gonna just be known as the God that brought Israel out of Egypt, but he's gonna be known as the God that brought Israel from the four corners of the earth and planted them right back in that land where it has been vacated for 2,500. They haven't had their own government for 2,500 years. Even when they were there in the first century, they were under the rule of the Romans, but they haven't had their own government, their own defense, their own, you know, as a nation, they were scattered in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm gonna plant them back in that land and it's gonna be greater than when I brought them out of Egypt. And that's happened in our generation, friends. We need to understand that's happened in our day. That happened in 1948, 1967. The Jewish people take over the city of Jerusalem. That means these end of the age prophetic promises have taken place. We're in the book of Revelation. Now the Lord is preparing to bring his government to the earth. One final harvest is in, is in our future. One final outpouring of the spirit. You know, a lot of people feel like, <clears throat> you know, Joel chapter two, Behold, I pour out my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and I'll pour out my spirit upon all mankind and so forth, remember? But if you look at that prophecy really closely, really closely, the very first words in Joel chapter two, verse 28 says, after these things. Okay, wait a minute, after these things. 
Then I'll pour out my spirit upon all mankind. After what? Go back to verse 18 of Joel chapter 2, and you'll find that it's the restoration of Israel, the restoration of that land to become a flourishing garden, a land that was barren for 2,000 years. It was considered a reproach by every nation. Mark Twain, one of the great writers of our nation, you know, went there in the 1800s and he just wrote about it and said it was a barren rock, tumbleweeds and scorpions. It wouldn't grow weeds. It was just, it felt like, he said, it felt like a reproach. The land was weeping and groaning and mourning. But the Lord says that weeping and mourning of that land is going to end when I pour out my spirit and I'm going to turn that land into a fruitful garden. It's going to have fig trees and olive trees and, and, and it's going to be flourishing and Israel will be planted back in that land. And after that, I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, but before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Okay, do you see that? That's Joel chapter two, which by the way, Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. All the way through. After that, after Israel is restored as a nation, but before the great and terrible day of the Lord, during that interval of time, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all mankind, and you're going to prophesy. We're in that span of time right now. So when people say, if somebody says, well, you know what? I don't believe there's any more great outpourings of the spirit before the Lord returns. Well, they got a problem then because Joel too says there will be. That's not the only place, by the way. <laughs> but it says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, you shall prophesy. Your sons and daughters are going to see visions and dreams and revelations, and you shall prophesy. You will prophesy. It says in Revelation chapter 10, which I touched on in the prior session, that you must prophesy. You're going to eat the book that I mentioned there from Revelation chapter 10, the unfolding of the end of the age plan. Remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat this just for the sake of... Uh, of emphasis, but in, in Daniel 12, Daniel sees a revelation, a profound revelation brought to him by the angel Gabriel, no less. A significant revelation. And, and it talks about the resurrection of the dead in a time when, when many will go back and forth. Well, I mean, a lot of people think that means travel, which I do believe it means that also, but I also believe it means back and forth into the realm of the spirit, into the unseen realm, back and forth. Many shall go and knowledge will increase. And this will be right before the resurrection of the dead. And that book, he says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, will not even be revealed until the time of the end. The end time. The generation on the earth immediately prior to the resurrection of the dead. Then those prophecies that have been held secret in the heart of God will be released into the earth. And there you see the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 10 when we as this end of the age bridal community eat the revelations of the open scroll, the open book, says it's sweeter in our mouth, but bitter in our belly, and we shall prophesy. You must prophesy. Now, back to what I was saying in Revelation chapter 19. So here I heard these, these hallelujahs, this celebration. I heard it with my ears. This, this, uh, and I didn't know what it was initially. And the Lord says, "This is the, this is my judgment on that counterfeit system." Now, this was my first thought. This is what I, this was how my brain processes things. 
And I thought to myself, wow, if they're celebrating like that, because I heard it, when this counterfeit system is judged, then I want to identify it and I want to have nothing to do with it. I want to find out what that system is. And I want to distance myself as far away from it as I possibly can. If they have a party in heaven when this thing is judged, I don't want to be any part of it. And so I spent years trying identifying this counterfeit system. And I have a whole set of teachings on our app that deal with this subject. This counterfeit form of Christianity. This seeker-sensitive Christianity. Listen, friends. It is a reproach to the gospel. It is going to be judged. Satan's government will be judged. And you know, today there is a teaching going around that we're going to rule the seven mountains, you know. And um, I don't believe that because those seven mountains are going to be removed because they are. Now, I don't believe we just turn over society to the devil either. Oh, I believe we go in and we make disciples just exactly what. The Great Commission is Matthew 28. Go into every ethnos, to all nations, and make disciples. So no, I'm not going to just turn over the you know the society to the devil. No, we're going to make disciples, and the more disciples we make, the more we influence these other realms of of culture. We bring people out of darkness into light, from the dominion of Satan into the dominion of God. But I'm not seeking to rule the governments of this world because God's going to judge them. What I am seeking to do is make disciples of people that are influential in those realms and so that we can, and because the whole idea is harvest. The whole thing is harvest. It's not taking over this world. This world is going to be judged. These systems are going to be judged. But our role, Jesus' great commission, Matthew 28, 18, is to make disciples, win people, bring people in. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then the gospel goes back to the Jews. The Jews recognize their Messiah. All these end-of-the-age things happen we see in the book of Revelation. And the Lord returns. And our prayer should be, Lord, come quickly. Listen, I'm not going to be comfortable in this world. I'll never be comfortable in this world. This is not our home. We're not, we're not born to be comfortable in Satan's government. We're sojourners here. We're, we're making disciples. We're, we're doing our best. You know, we, we have to get along. We, we have to feed our family and educate our children and all of those things, of course. But, but I, you know, I'm never satisfied here until the Lord returns. <laughs> We're never going to be okay until our Messiah is face to face with his people ruling and reigning on this earth. That's what this is all about. That's what all of the patriarchs and prophets saw throughout all the ages when they prophesied the coming of the end of the age, when the Lord makes himself available, when the Lord reveals himself. And that's everything that Abraham was after. He said, I'm, I'm looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. No city on the earth was going to satisfy Abraham. He lived in tents. You know, he moved around because the city he was looking for was not here. It was in heaven. Excuse me. <clears throat> it, was in a, it was a heavenly kingdom. So Revelation 19, the four hallelujahs. And what's really interesting, right after that, you see the marriage of the Lamb. 
Now listen, there are seven future events that are coming. There's over 2,000 prophetic scriptures that deal with this span of time that we're in. Over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that identify, describe, and predict the circumstances involved in this last day outpouring of the Spirit leading up to the harvest of souls, the coming, the appearing of the Lord to take us out of here, the judgment seat of Christ and things that follow. So let me just give you those seven things because this is very important because they're all right here in the book of Revelation. Okay, here are they. These seven things that are described very explicitly in the prophetic scriptures of the Bible. First is the end of the age with the harvest, you know, the coming of the Lord. I'll describe the coming of the Lord as number one, the appearing of the Lord. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the resurrection of the dead and the translation of the living saints. That's in our future. Do you know that most of us, many of us living right now will see that event happen? I believe that wholeheartedly. And I can prove that by the Bible with Israel becoming a nation and the fig tree putting forth her buds as the Lord says in Matthew 24 and so forth. So you have the resurrection of the dead, which would also include the translation of the living saints. All right, it says it right here. I'm gonna read these scriptures here to you in just a minute out of Revelation 19 and 20. Just give me a minute to get there. So what happens leading up to that? Well, in the process of getting there, our responsibility, the responsibility of your pastor, your congregation, is to make ready a people for the coming of the Lord, to make the bride ready and to empower the sons, because we have a harvest to bring in, the final harvest. What happened in the first century with Pentecost was a first fruits. This is the final harvest. That was former rain. This is latter rain. And latter rain is described as being seven times greater than former. So we have this harvest of souls, which includes the maturing of the bride and the sons of the kingdom. So then you have the resurrection of the dead and the translation of the living saint who go into the heavenly place right here, the marriage of the lamb. Verse seven, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's what we're doing right now making the bride ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I have some teachings online that if you guys want to go there or look at the White Dove Ministries app, I talk about some of these events in greater clarity. So let me give you the seven and then we'll come back. So you have the resurrection of the dead, the translation of the living saints, number one. Number two, then you have what's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's not something to be feared. The Lord says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. The judgment seat of Christ is the reward to the believers for what you've done on the earth. Now, salvation is free. It's the gift of God. It's not because of works. By faith, we are saved. And by grace, the, our sins are washed away. So this is, our sins are by the grace of God. But once we become a believer, what have we done with our life? And then you have the judgment seat of Christ where the Lord recognizes a life that has been lived sacrificially for the kingdom. This is all part of this end of the age scenario. 
the judgment seat of Christ, the doctrine of rewards. I have a whole teaching on there about that. Then you have following that right here described in the book of Revelation as well, what's called great tribulation, seven trumpet judgments and seven bowls. Now, my belief is, and I'm not sure you know how you guys have talked, but I believe we're gone for that. I believe at the end of the age, the bride of Christ is caught away to be with the Lord in heaven. And I'm gonna show that to you here in just a moment in Revelation 19, why I believe this. I'll, what I tell people, I'll share with you what I believe and I'll tell you why I believe what I believe and then you can analyze it for yourself and decide what you believe. But then the catching away, the, 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 the marriage union, see everything, m much of what the Lord taught, especially in Matthew 24 and 25, had to do with the marriage proposal. You know, there are basically four main steps. Some of those four steps can be broken down but here again, this is part. This is right here, Revelation 19, the marriage of the Lamb. The, the father of the bridegroom, our heavenly father, negotiates a, negotiates a price for the bride of his son. The price in his, in his case was his own blood. And so there is the betrothal. When we accept the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins, we are betrothed to him. Then he said in, in John chapter 14, verses one through three, I'm going away to prepare a place for the marriage union. Now that's all, this is the four steps. There is the betrothal, the bridegroom goes away to prepare a place for a marriage union. Meanwhile, the bride is preparing herself. Her job is to cleanse and sanctify herself, washed as it says by Paul in the water of the word, and also to have proper wedding garments. Then there is the return of the bridegroom with a processional and where there's an announcement, a shouting of a voice and the trumpet, that all is part of the literal first century bridal union. And so the Lord comes back. This is what he talks about in Matthew 25. There is the shout, the bridegroom comes. And when he comes, according to Matthew 25, he found a dilemma. Part of the people that he was betrothed to were ready. Part of the people that he was betrothed to were not ready. They didn't have oil in their lamps. And while they went away to make themselves ready, the bridegroom took the bride in for the marriage union and the door was shut. That's Matthew 25. That's the importance of making yourself ready. Then you have the consummation of the marriage. Then you have the marriage supper or the marriage feast. And then Matthew 19, or excuse me, Revelation 19, the Lord returns. I'm gonna walk through these scriptures in just a moment. So let me, let me retract, let me go through those seven. You have the resurrection of the dead and the translation of living saints, number one, and the harvest that takes place before that. Then you have the judgment seat of Christ. You have the great tribulation. You have the Lord coming back to the earth to judge the Antichrist and the systems of this world. Then you have the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus rules planet earth for 1,000 years. This is all in Revelation 19 and 20. Then you have, of course, at the end of that, uh, the destruction of Satan and what's called the great white throne judgment followed by the new heaven and the new earth. That's all in the book of Revelation. It's not complicated. It's not, it's something we can understand. Okay. So you, let me go through it again. According to the book of Revelation, there is the resurrection of the dead and the, and the translation of living saints. Following that will be the judgment seat of Christ where we have the, we are rewarded for what we have done on the earth. The Lord gives us crowns to recognize you were a soul winner or you gave sacrificially. It even says in when Jesus gave, you know, told the teaching, he says, you know, 
nobody's going to give up more here, you know, if you give to the poor, if you do acts of kindness, you will be rewarded. At the resurrection of the righteous, you will be rewarded. See, that's the judgment seat of Christ. All right, that's in your Bible. <laughs> so you have the judgment seat of Christ, and the then you have the marriage union of the bridegroom with his bride. Then you have the return of the Lord to deal with Satan's government. You have all that written very clearly in Revelation 17 and 18 and into, into chapter 19. I just described that to you. Then you have the Lord returning to, with his bride to set up his millennial reign for 1,000 years. We will be on this earth, Jesus as the king. We will be functioning in his kingdom from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Then you have, of course, what's called the great white throne judgment where everybody who's ever lived comes before the Lord and, and the people that are part of the kingdom go this, you know, go into the kingdom and those that are not go into the lake of fire. Then you have the new heaven and the new earth, which Peter talked about was recreated by fire. Now, let me just kind of walk through Revelation 19 and, and, and highlight some of these points and then we'll, we'll call this a day. Oh, wow, I've already been going 45 minutes. I feel like I've just begun. So anyway, it says in verse 7, we're in Revelation 19. It was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. That ties in to the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to these words. Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet, this is John talking, to worship him, but he said, do not do that. I'm one of your servants. I'm a prophet too. <laughs> Apparently that prophet walked in so much glory in that realm that John thought maybe I should worship him. No, 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 don't worship me. I'm just one of your fellow brethren. You know, worship the Lord. You think I got glory, where do you see the glorious on him? <laughs> You'll worship him for all eternity, it says. And then verse 11, all right. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. Now this is the coming of the Lord when he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. This is when he will judge the Antichrist systems. There's been seven years that he has, the Antichrist has just been running rampant on the earth. Death will be rampant destruction, horrible things. This is when he, after he sets himself up in the temple, the, the Antichrist, and declares himself to be God. And there's so many details, I don't have time to go in here, but this is after the coming. See, the coming of the Lord is in the air. First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you're tracking with me. That's where we meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't set his feet on the earth yet. That happens seven years later. We go with the Lord in the air to have the marriage supper and the marriage union. But now, verse 11 of Revelation 19, the Lord is coming back to set his feet on the, on the earth. He's, but here is, here is the description of the Lord. Oh, it's so amazing. He is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. See, this goes back to what I was saying. We have to understand that sevenfold revelation of his glory, which by the way, I describe in my book, The Voice of the Bride. Take each one of those seven depictions and what they are, but we see him as the supreme judge. We have to understand that posture for us to understand the Omega ministry. He is the Alpha, but he's the Omega. The Omega is the consummation, the end, the finality, the summing up of all things. And so this is part of that description. He has eyes like flames of fire, 
On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. What an amazing thing. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's the bride. Okay. Now let me just point out something here. Where is the bride of Christ at that moment? In heaven. The bride is already in heaven with him before he returns. See, it's plain as day right there. The bride of Christ has already had the marriage union. She's already enjoyed the marriage supper that's been taking place while the Antichrist was on the earth. And the bride of Christ is in heaven enjoying this beautiful, amazing, wonderful ceremony when the bridegroom is finally fully united with his beautiful, adoring bride dressed in white, pure and clean. That's why we have to get white, clean garments. And now, though, she, she's still white and clean, but she's an army. And that's, you see it right here. I hope you can see it. I hope you're reading your Bible. Revelation chapter 19. Look at it right now. And, and the armies which are in heaven, the bride clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, a sharp sword, so that with it he might strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Okay, so when I say that we're not going to govern the existing forms of government on the earth. It says right here, he's going to strike all that down and replace it with his own, see? So what our job is, is take people out of darkness into light from the dominion of Satan into the, but I'm not going to go live in a cave somewhere waiting for the Lord to, to come and do these things. We're going, to, we're going to believe that we're going to go out in, in the streets, in the byways, in the highways, and we're going to, um, we're going to make disciples. We're going to win the lost. We're going to preach the kingdom. We're going to heal the sick. We're going to even raise the dead. Fulfill Matthew ten eight. I believe it with all my heart. So we're out there on the front line these last days. We're not hidden away in some cave somewhere, just hiding out, waiting for the Lord to come get us. No, we're going to be empowered by the Spirit. We're going to be out there doing the kingdom work, doing the, the work of our Father, winning the lost, bringing in everyone the Lord said would come to him before the end came. That's our job. So we're not hiding away. We're not preaching escapism. We're preaching the empowerment of a body of people that will do the works Jesus did and even greater works than these will they do. While there's darkness in the world, there's going to be light and glory on this community of people. That's the Bible. That's the Bible and so forth. In verse 16, the robe dipped in blood and all of that. So let me just uh, now jump over. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 19. And I saw the beast, which is the Antichrist. And the kings of the earth and their armies were assembled to make war against him who sat on, his ho on the horse and against his, against his army. This is what they call Armageddon. This is when the enemy is over and around the land of Israel. He's got an entire army, millions and millions of people in this army. And he wants to pick a fight with the living God. It says it right here, verse 19 of Revelation 19. And the beast was seized. <laughs> he picked a fight with the wrong guy. Oh, the Lord came the first time as the suffering servant, the lamb, but he's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. 
He's coming back as king and victor. It says right here, I just read it to you. He's coming back to judge and wage war. It's not going to be a good time to be on the wrong side of the living God at that point. It says right here, And the beast was seized, and with him <clears throat> the false prophet who had performed signs in his presence, and he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Which, by the way, don't be concerned about the mark of the beast. If you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, you don't have to be concerned about the mark. You're not going to be tricked into taking the mark. No, the people that take the mark knowingly do so. And I, that's another subject for another day. But I just want to give you a little piece about that. I've had people say, oh, I'm concerned. I don't want to accidentally take the mark of the beast. You're not going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're serving him, and you've been sealed by his spirit, you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. In verse 20, and um, verse 20, chapter 20, chapter 20, Satan is bound, okay? So the Lord comes back with his army. He binds Satan for 1,000 years. And he threw him into a pit and locked him up for 1,000 years. Somebody say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. You might say, oh, that's so far away. That's in the way. I mean, you know, no, 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 friends. I believe that we're living in the hour. This is the awareness of what we have to come to the realization of. We're living in the hour. Everything around us. I, I could give you sign after sign. Everything that Matthew 24 talks about is happening right now. Knowledge is increasing. All the various signs. Doesn't the Spirit in you tell you that the Lord is coming soon? That we're living in that hour. Something about our DNA says, I, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this last day army. Now, I'm going to finish out what I'm going to share today, beginning at verse 4 of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them. They who the bride, the bride, the bride of Christ. See, let me stop right there, and I want to point out something to you. <clears throat> There's just so many things I really wish that I could go through. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll do another follow-up teaching with Pastor Francis, but... You'll notice, and I touched on this in the first session, Revelation 2 and 3, seven letters to seven church ages, okay? But it says, to the church, right? All right, the word there is ecclesia, called out ones, people that have believed on the blood of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones, to the church, right? And then it gives dilemmas. Every church age, you know, you've done this right, you've done this right, uh, but you got a problem here. And it's not okay. So I'm going to tell you how to overcome the problem. And if you overcome it, then you get a reward. See? To the church right, but to him that overcomes, I will allow to eat from the tree of life. To the church right, but here, you know, Smyrna or whatever the age was, you got this problem, but here's how you overcome it. And if you overcome it, then you are a victor. You're a conqueror, and I'll give you a reward. And so it says, in every seven church ages, to the church, the called out ones, the, the, the um, many are called, few are chosen. The overcomers are the chosen, all right? That's who you and I. We're going to overcome the religious order of the day, all right? So what it says there in the Ephesian church, to him that overcomes, you eat of the tree of life, the church of Pergamum, they uh, eat of the hidden manna, and they're given a white stone with a new name written upon it that nobody knows but those that receive it. 
It says uh, to another church, you overcome and I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God and you'll never go out from it again. I'll give you authority over nations and, and so forth. That goes into the last church age, the Laodicean age. It says to him that overcomes to the church right. But here's a dilemma. Lukewarm Christianity is a big problem in that last age. In that 20th and 21st century church, the called out people, the ones that have accepted the blood of Jesus, they got a problem. They're not hot or cold. They've been deceived by a form of counterfeit Christianity. But if you can overcome that and become hot for the kingdom, you will be an overcomer, a victor, and I will let you sit with me on my throne as I overcame to sit with my father. Hold that thought. Here it is right here, the overcomers. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given to them. The overcomers are seated on thrones with the Lord and he will give them authority to judge and rule nations. Think about that. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I know it's gonna be a great thing. It's gonna be worth it all. And I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image. We're not, we're not gonna worship that counterfeit system. You were, you were already overcoming that. We're not gonna worship some form of counterfeit Christianity, cold formal religion, all that goes with that. No, we've overcome that. <clears throat> Verse five. All right, let me, let, me go, let, me, let me finish reading this verse because this deals with the resurrection, okay? All right, so those had been beheaded because of the testimony, the word of God and the testimony of Jews, those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, for this is the first resurrection. Now listen to these words. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part of the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I'm gonna repeat a phrase here. They will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that is there's a big push on the church today that we're going to rule the earth before the Lord returns. I don't believe that. It says right here, we will rule with him. <laughs> He's coming back and we're coming back with him. Then we will rule planet earth. Pastor Francis and those guys can help you understand that. We rule with the Lord. There will not be a kingdom reign on the earth until our Messiah, our King, returns to planet earth and we return with him. It says it right here. We return with him and we rule with him for 1,000 years. Oh my goodness. Now I know... I know you talk, people talk about this and say, oh, you know, that's so far out there. I can't even, you know, wrap my head around it. And I, and I get that part. But the reality is it's a revelation to recognize that we're living in this hour when these scriptures are living. This is the living word. This is a now word. 
you and I right now, this is why conferences like the one you're having right now is so important because we're learning how to function as a priest and a king in the kingdom of God. Do you remember um, in the first session, I quoted to you Revelation chapter five and verse nine, worthy art thou our Lord and our God to take the book, the little scroll and break its seals for you were, you, you were slain and you purchased for God with your own blood, men of every nation, tongue, tribe, and kingdom, that's harvest, and you have made them to be priests and kings to our God, and they will rule on planet Earth, okay? Now, that's where we are right now. I'm, I'm gonna reemphasize two main points, and I'm gonna close it out today. That's Revelation chapter five, verse nine. I quoted it, you can read it. Now. So that means when the seven sealed book has been opened and the Lord releases this revelation into a community of people on the earth, it does two main things and it does multiple things, but mainly it releases the harvest anointing. You know, that's purchased with your own blood, men of every nation, tongue, tribe, and kingdom, that's harvest. And it releases an empowerment and authority to begin to position and prepare people that will function to the Lord as both a priest and as a king. Now, you know, I know we're sons and we're daughters, and in the church ages, we function as apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers, but in the age to come, we function as priests and kings, little K kings. He is the capital K king of little K kings. We're the kings. <laughs> We function with authority of the king in his kingdom. You see, this is the book of Revelation. This is the preparation of a people to begin to rule on the earth. And now we're having to qualify for that. We have to overcome as it says there. Now, I don't have time to go there today, but just when you have some time, read Revelation chapter 15. You know what? I am going to read it. <laughs> it's such a beautiful passage. Just give me a minute to turn to it and find it. I love this passage. This is a, an image, you know, of heaven during that span of time when all these harsh things are happening on the earth. We're in heaven. But it says, <clears throat> verse 2, um, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had been victorious. That word victorious is overcomers. The overcomers are standing on the sea of glass, mingled with fire. And over, the, you know, let me read the whole thing. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name were standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant. That's us. Listen, that antichrist system is on the earth right now. That beast system of religion has millions and millions of our brethren deceived right now. And our job is to bring them out of that deception into the marvelous light of the kingdom. A lot of people have accepted the blood of Jesus, but they've gone right into this cold, formal religious system. And, it's, and, and our job is to bring them out of that 
The Lord told me there will be another exodus from religion, religiosity into the kingdom. And the victorious ones, the overcomers, will be standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire. So our job right now, what, what's going on right now? Okay, here's, here's the bottom line today, friends. The Lord is coming in his parousia. That's the presence of God, a manifestation of his presence and glory on planet Earth right now in this season we're moving into. When, with that presence, he's bringing the now opened book in this community of overcomers, this bridal community, the sons of God will eat the book. They'll eat the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we say here in the West, you become what you eat. You eat the revelation of Jesus, you become the revelation of Jesus. And we will prophesy one final time on planet Earth. That's where we are to bring in the harvest of souls and to prepare a people to function as priests and kings. That's where we are. We will just see the beginning of it, but we're, we're gonna begin to learn some of the concepts of the kingdom, of what it means to rule and reign. You know, I gotta be honest with you, I think probably you folks in Africa and places like that understand that better than we do in the West. You understand the concepts of king and kingdom and. And, but this is of the heavenly kingdom. And we're being prepared for that. We're being washed in the blood. We're being washed in truth. John 17, 17 is very relevant right now. Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It says in Revelation chapter three, verses one through six, many have stained soiled garments, but our job in this last day, your job right there in Nigeria is to prophesy the truth so that many of the believers that have been pulled aside, that have been seduced by that other spirit, that have stained robes, can wash their robes white, pure, and clean, and be ready for the return of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters there in Nigeria. I bless every one of them. I pray that you will pour your spirit out upon them in ways that are unprecedented that you would empower us to overcome. That's gonna be my final prayer today, that the Lord would release to you an overcomer's anointing, the victor's anointing, the overcomer's anointing, the, the power to live above the things of this world, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit with, with tongues of fire, like you did those early disciples. What they had, was only a first fruits, what we're getting, because it says, after this, I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, after Israel is restored as a nation, but before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to pour my spirit out, and you're going to prophesy. What are we gonna prophesy? The revelation of Jesus Christ for the final harvest. I bless you with that. Lord, bless our friends over there. We love these guys so much. Release your spirit to them and empower them with fire. I ask, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.